Good morning, Mill City. So good to be with you. And good morning and welcome to everybody joining us online. If you're brand new with us today, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here at Mill City. And uh, so wonderful to gather together, worship together each and every Sunday morning. Uh, I don't know if this happens to you, but if you've ever found yourself in a supermarket line and, you know, there's usually some magazines. Uh, Just the other day I did and I found this one. Uh, if you can't see, if, it's a, if you're a little further away, this is, uh, this is men's workouts guy with his shirt off. And I think, oh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be nice. I could use some more than one ab, you know. I'd like, uh, <laughs> I, should get, I should exercise and I could look, you know, maybe I won't look like that guy, but I could look a little less like, you know. And so, uh, you know, I could, uh, that, that'd be good, you know. Uh, that's, oh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I feel passionate about that. And then right next to that, is this. And um, we got comfort and share. Classic chicken and dumplings, supreme pizza soup, and strawberry jam cake. I'm like, man, I feel passionate about that. I, I feel passionate about those foods and, and on a lot of other things that I'm sure are in here. And look at that. I mean, melted cheese over ham with these fried. Oh, that is goodness right there. And I I feel passionate about that. And I think this, you know, be good. I should exercise and get healthy and I should, I should eat this. And, I, I, and I'm conflicted. It's a battle. Which one am I going to, which one, which one? Which one? Which passion? Which desire? Which is going to win? We're in a series, week three of a series called The Unexamined Life, talking about the need to examine our lives, the practice of looking underneath the surface, not just skimming across the top and staying in the shallows, but actually going to the depths and finding what's going on underneath and in the deeper parts of our lives. Where is God at work and what is he inviting us to offer to him in places of healing? But if we are going to go there, we're also going to find a battle. And it's a battle of desires and battle of passions, a battle between healthy and unhealthy, a battle between self and service. Now, maybe the magazines are a bit trivial, but there's maybe the, maybe the, the battle is over things even more significant. Like, like the battle between the desire to, to pray and not just be a 21 days prayer, but day 22 and day 23 and day 74 and day 129 and day 363. And to immerse myself in the scriptures and the battle of wanting that and the desire to binge on Netflix. The desire to stay faithful to your spouse and the desire to flirt with your new colleague, the desire to have your house look like Fixer Upper and all the houses and the furniture and the just perfect, and we got to fix this and remodel this, and the desire to be generous and not just spend everything on yourself. The desire to be a person of integrity and the desire to get an A, even if it means just copying a little bit of their work. 
the desire and the passion to raise your kids and pour into them and give them your time and your energy and the desire to spend another hour on Facebook or go shopping or play one more round of golf. And it's not that any of these things, just like food and exercise, aren't mutually exclusive, but, but there's these passions, the, the passion and the desire for purity and the passion and desires to watch porn. The desire for community and the desire to not commit to anything because I don't want to be tied down. Now, culture's response to this is you be you. Be yourself. Follow your heart. Be true to you. I wonder, though, if that's the solution. Which one? Because some days I really want this, and other days I really want this. And what, sometimes it's minute to minute, day to day, week to week, week. And certainly, the desires and the passions I had 20 years ago, way different than they are today. So which one? And I would suspect in 20 years, I might look back on some of the passions and desires of my heart and my life today that I might think, oh, good thing I didn't do that or I did that and now I'm reaping the consequences. Which one? Like syndrome in The Incredibles, the antagonist in The Incredibles movie, when he asks Mr. Incredible, you always tell us, be true to yourself. But you never said what part of yourself to be true to. In the West, it's been cultivated over the last couple hundred years and certainly is expressing itself in full-on expression in our day where the self has become the center of authority. You determine your truth, I'll determine mine. Charles Taylor wrote The Secular Age, it's over a thousand pages, and before you think that I read it, <laughs> I, wrote the, I read the summary. It's a hundred-page book called How Not to Be Secular by James K.A. Smith. But Charles Taylor says, the West has changed from a culture of authority to a culture of authenticity. Now, it's good to be authentic, but if authenticity is the center of authority, it totally changes everything. Because for a long time and in a lot of cultures, there's an external source of authority like God, the scriptures, tradition, parents, or other authority structures. But it's now changed to be more internal and very subjective. The world says, be true to yourself. The scripture deals with the desires and passions differently, talks about the war going on inside of each one of us. Scripture calls that the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And it's a war that goes on and rages within each one of us. Now, when you hear the word flesh, we think of our body, flesh and bones, skin and hair follicles and capillaries and organs. That is without a doubt a meaning of flesh, but it is not the meaning that Paul and the other New Testament writers might be referencing when they talk about the flesh. In the Greek, the word is sarx, S-A-R-X, which can mean flesh and blood, but it also can mean the state of human beings that bends towards sin 
the definition of that being my definition of good and evil, me defining it, a power in opposition to the Spirit. Another word that maybe you might be familiar with, especially if you've been around church or the Bible for a little while, is sinful nature. My desire to do what I want to do, when I want it, how it is, all that, in contrast to and in battle with the desires of the Spirit of God. Dostoevsky, in his book, The Brothers Karamazov, says, God and the devil are fighting in the battlefield as the heart of man. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, in Rome, in Romans chapter 7, says, now this is the Apostle Paul, I mean, hero of the faith. You think, oh, he's got it all together, and this is what he says. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Does that resonate with you? Resonates with me. I don't want to treat my kids poorly when they annoy the living daylights out of me. I don't want to snap at them, and I do. The battle and the war between what I want to do and what I don't want to do. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 5 and into chapter 6. We're going to study that today, starting in verse 13. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other. That's that war going on within. So that you are not to do whatever you want. Not to do whatever you want. That sounds pretty contrary to what our world says we should do today. Paul talks about freedom in this passage, I think it's important that we define some terms. Today, our cultural definition of freedom is doing whatever you want. I'm going to do what feels right to me. I'm going to define good and evil for myself. I don't want anybody outside of me telling me what's right or what's wrong. That's freedom. I'm going to do whatever I want which means that our cultural definition of slavery or personal bondage is not following your desires. To restrain our desires and passions in some form or another. To repress them. Think about the the things that are advocated for. I'm going to do whatever I want with my body. I will sleep with whoever I want, whenever I want, however it's going to go. And so nobody can tell me anything about some sort of sexual ethic. And anybody who says that I should repress that or I should restrain that is a form of oppression. But Paul 
In Galatians here, it says the opposite of indulging your flesh, just doing whatever you want, is serving others humbly in love. Which means that the biblical definition of freedom is loving your neighbor as yourself. He says it's summed up in this one command. Now, when he uses the word love, he's talking about sacrificial selfless love, not just a feeling. Oh, yeah, I just feel warm and fuzzy towards my neighbors. Now, he's talking about putting your interests aside so that you might serve and give to someone else. He's talking about our actual physical neighbors, and he's also talking about if you're married, your very first neighbor, your spouse. Which means that the biblical definition of slavery or personal bondage is living according to your passions and desires and doing whatever you want. Those two definitions, our cultural definition and our biblical definitions, are quite at odds with one another. A world is saying, do whatever you want to do. But doing whatever you want to do is not actually freedom. It actually leads to slavery to your passions and desires. Tim Keller Pastor in New York City, author of a really fabulous book called Making Sense of God, said, says, freedom is not what the culture tells us. Real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms in order to gain others. It is not the absence of constraints. Doing whatever we want to do does not lead to freedom. It leads to less freedom as you become slave to your own desires but is the choosing the right restraints and the right freedoms to lose. So let's apply that to marriage. To walk down an aisle, face one another, stare off into each other's eyes, and say, I do, I commit my life to you, is to give up the freedom to date and to pursue whoever you want. But in giving up that freedom, you gain security, you gain trust, Safety and intimacy. Give up one freedom for a greater good. We give it up not only for ourselves, but our spouse. We give up freedoms in our own lives for the benefit of our kids, of our roommate, of our neighbor. And we need to be very aware in a, in a world where freedom is a popular topic and an important one. Grateful for the freedoms in our nation, the freedom to worship freely. So grateful for that. But we need to be aware of the definitions because oftentimes when freedom is used in our Western culture, it is regularly attributed to doing whatever I want. But the Apostle Paul says that when we do that, this is what it looks like. Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Hookup culture. Sleep with whoever I want to, whenever I want to. Give myself over to any sexual desire that I might have. Idolatry and witchcraft. Idolizing politicians or political ideologies or, or particular things about myself or the things that I have. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy. Sounds like Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's where the flesh will take us. And this is where the Spirit will take us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which sounds more appealing to you? So the question is, how do I fight my flesh? If the war is raging, is it just a, I hope I'm strong enough today? If the war is raging, how do I, how do I land in the place where my flesh doesn't win out? Where it's not just about me getting whatever I want. Hoping, having good intentions is nice, but Dallas Willard author, theologian, philosopher, says we don't drift into discipleship. We don't drift into becoming more like Jesus. And we don't just drift into feeding the Spirit of God. It takes intentionality. See, if we could think our way into right living, we all would have done it already. Just a little thought, a tweak, a desire. Paul takes it much further than that, though it is important what goes on in our mind. He says this, Galatians 5 Verses 24 and 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He doesn't say, for those who belong to Christ Jesus have developed some good discipline. For those who are in Christ Jesus have like really, 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 really don't want to do the things of the flesh. It's not willpower and discipline and rigidity. Crucifixion. Not just good hopes and intentions. Crucifixions. He, he takes it to the extreme. Which is what, exactly what Jesus does. So he walks the planet and he's talking to people and he regularly is inviting them to follow him. He is saying this, Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple... Be my apprentice, become like me, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves and pick up my cross, pick up their cross. What's he talking about? Crucifixion. Deny your self. Deny your flesh. Deny your passions and desires. Crucify them. Take them to the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the martyr. In World War II, wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Die. You thought, well, I, I, why do I have to die? I thought Jesus died for me. So that I don't have to die. I mean, true, Jesus did die for us. He paid the debt we could not pay and sacrificed himself for us, no doubt. But Jesus didn't just go to the cross so we don't have to. Jesus went to the cross to show us how to die, how to crucify the flesh. And that means every part of us. Not just like, I'll crucify that part, but I'll, I'll hold on to this part. One of the low points of church history is the 11 1200s. 
was in the 11 and 1200s that the Crusades happened. The Crusades, for anybody maybe who's unfamiliar, is when Christians thought that the way to bring about the kingdom of God and to do God's will was to kill people and be violent in the name of Jesus. I'm not sure how they lost the plot line or the words of Jesus that said, love your enemies and forgive those who hurt you. And so they would go to battle in the name of Jesus and trying to say that this is what Jesus is all about. And this Christian military, led oftentimes by the Knights Templar, legend has it that the the Knights who are in their battles or getting ready for a battle would be baptized before going into, into battle. When they were baptized, they'd be baptized into the water, with their, but they'd hold their sword above the water. Almost as if to say, Jesus, you can have all of me except my violence. And we look at that and we're disturbed, rightfully so, by what happened during that time. And we might think, wow, can't believe they did that. And yet, we all do this in some form or another. It might not be a sword, but it might be a credit card. It might not be a sword, but it might be a relationship. It might not be a sword, but it might be a sexual ethic. It might not be a sword, but it might be a wound or a trauma It might not be a sword, but it might be an entertainment habit. It might not be a sword, but it might be my kids and their activities. It might not be a sword, but it it might be a politician. It might not be a sword, but it might be my privilege. It might not be a sword, but it might even be a theological position. Jesus, you can have all of me, but not this. Not this, Jesus. Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Whoever sows to their flesh, to sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So the question for each one of us today is: which one are you feeding? Are you feeding your spirit? feeding the flesh. Which one are you starving? Are you starving the flesh or are you starving your spirit? God's invitation for all of us is to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. To live into and become who he's called us to become. That's what he's inviting us towards. Last week we talked about confession and the need to humble ourselves before God. And as we do that, we receive grace. Confession starves the flesh and feeds the spirit. We receive the grace of God. We say no to our desires to hide. Paul In Romans chapter 13, it says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
Yesterday, we had an incredible finale for 21 days of prayer and fasting. It was so wonderful for, to gather together each and every day to pray together and believe God for healing in bodies and healing in, in our city and our region for mental uh, uh, healing and, and for marriages and relationships and to pray for universities and professors and students and college students and high school students and middle school students to pray for, for, the, the, for heaven to touch earth in northern Colorado and around the world and to seek God and humble ourselves before him. Amazing. But you know, it's not 21 days of prayer and fasting and then, oh man, thank God. Now I'll just, I don't have to do that for another year. Fasting and prayer is something we do at the beginning of every year, not only to set the year right and pray into the rest of the year and plant seeds, but it's also to develop habits and rhythms. 21 days of starving the flesh and feeding the spirit. Confession is one of those ways, and so is fasting. I have a confession to make. I hate fasting. I hate it. And I love it, and I hate it. I more hate it. I hate it. No, I love it. And we've together fasted screens and cut the digital connection and and tried to expose in some way the, the, the addiction there. But with, throughout Scripture, it talks a lot about fasting food, like going without food for a period of time. So we abstain from screens. We, we abstain from food for a portion of time. And I, 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 I do it and I encourage all of us to do it for a couple of reasons. One, the Scripture says we're supposed to when you fast, and we have people all throughout Scripture, including Jesus, who fasted. And because it starves my flesh, literally. And you're like, well, I thought, we weren't, thought this wasn't about flesh and bones. I thought this was about some other desire. Oh, it's true. But they relate. You know, if I, I've decided, okay, I'm going to go a couple of days without food, I'm just going to drink water so that I can tap into the reality of who Jesus is and that he is my living water and I am, I am sustained by, he is the bread of life. But you know, on that first day I wake up and by 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, I think I'm going to die. I, I'm pretty sure this is the end. My stomach is starting to eat itself. Um, I don't think I'm going to make it. I look at my hands and I start thinking about chicken fingers. And I, I just, and everybody's starting to offer me like free steak dinners. And, and I'm thinking, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I must have chosen the right. This is, uh, there must, maybe in translation in the Bible, an E got dropped out. You know, it's supposed to be prayer and feasting. You know, I don't. <laughs> and then by like three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, this is the end, God. Why are you punishing me? Do you hate me? What is going on here? You know, I. But I find that fasting reveals what controls us and reminds us of who sustains us. And I have found as I am able to say no to chicken fingers and no to that drive through and no to that coffee and no to strawberry jam cake and no to the desires of my flesh, flesh and bones. That's God-given, very natural, needed. 
that it translates into my ability to say no to my flesh. That which is in opposition to the Spirit. Because maybe the next time it's not food, but it's that next click on the internet, that extra drink. And God's saying, please say no. I want you to say no. Starve the flesh. Abstain to that one extra flirtatious interaction. Or maybe it's, maybe it's to say no to and abstain from just a little extra bit of stealing some information from a classmate. If I can say no to a God-given desire that rages within for a day or two or three or more of fasting, and maybe in that moment of that war raging within, say, God, I want to feed the Spirit, and I'm going to starve my flesh, not out of my own willpower, but by the Spirit of God. Help me to crucify the desires and passions of my flesh that don't say, that say, well, do whatever you want to do, because God, I want to love you, and I want to love my neighbor as I love myself. So the Apostle Paul says, don't quit starving the flesh and don't quit feeding the Spirit. Because he says in verse 9 of Galatians 6, don't give up in doing good. He's not talking about don't give up in running the marathon, you know, at at mile 20. Don't give up on the hard job. He's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about don't give up on starving the flesh and feeding the Spirit. He says, because in due time, after a while, if you keep at it, you will reap a harvest. What's the harvest? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good and feeding the flesh. He doesn't say the battle's gonna stop but you might be able to look back. Maybe it's a year from now and you look back and you think, oh, I was, man, the temptation was strong. Temptation's still there, but it doesn't, it seems to be withering. I've been starving now. Partnership with the Holy Spirit. Over these last couple of weeks, I've been introduced to practice. For some of you, it might have been familiar. For others, it might be new, but it's the prayer of examine of examine, which asks us each and every day to look at what's going on underneath the surface of our lives as a way of reflection and self-examination and bringing them before the Lord, asking the question, what am I thankful for? How have I seen God's gifts in my life? What am I anxious about? What are the ways in which I'm not trusting God? And, and finally, how have I gone my own way? Another way of thinking about that is how have I fed the flesh today? As we ask those questions, it brings us to a place of humility, confession, where we need to engage the Spirit. I want to encourage all of us to continue in that practice. 
end of the day if you can, beginning of the next, just whatever, wherever it is, review the last 24 hours. See God's work and grace and power in your life. For some of you here today, the Holy Spirit is inviting you into a step of trust. Maybe you find yourself having given yourself over to your desires and you doing whatever you want. And as I read the lists of what happens when we feed the flesh versus feed the spirit, you're like, yeah, that's, I can see those things starting to, that fruit starting to happen in my life. And I'm finding it's not more freedom, but I'm enslaved to my passions and desires. It is not our willpower and it is not us that is the chain breaker and the bondage breaker. Jesus is our deliverer. He is the one who saves us, rescues us from slavery. And so the way out is Jesus. The way out is to put our faith and our trust in him to say, Jesus, I need you. And the way that we communicate that is by saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life, which means I'm going to follow you. You are going to be the one that has direct input into what I should do, where I should go, and what are the desires that I should feed. In the moment, it may feel like we're giving something up, but it actually is a greater gain. See, because in exchange for our life, we get God's. And I find that to be the most unfair trade that the ever, world has ever known. But it, it is in our favor. We give over our little lives, our little selves and desires. We each have a unique life and a unique purpose, but we hand it over so then we receive God's power, God's life, and God's purposes in our lives and through our lives. And it is the flourishing, great, God-abundant life. If that's you here today, feel the tug and invitation of the Holy Spirit. We just take a moment and under your breath, God, I give you my life. Maybe that's something you say for the very first time in your life. Or maybe you're in a place where you've run from God, you're far from God, you need to come home. And maybe it's a re-surrender. And you would say to God today, I give you my life. For all of us, the Holy Spirit is drawing us to himself, inviting us towards greater steps of surrender or re-surrender. I want to encourage you, maybe your next step is to find community because even though it is a very internal and can be private if we allow it to be a private war that wages within, the scripture calls us to wage it with others and for others. We need each other in this war important that we share with each other and that we support and strengthen each other through prayer and encouragement so that we need to find that community. Women, maybe it's sisterhood this upcoming weekend as the start to that. Two weeks from today, February 6th, the city group launch. Find a city group. Plan on and jumping into a city group. Maybe, just like the story we heard a little bit earlier, might be the scariest thing that you could imagine but by the power of the Spirit of God through His courage in your life just to take that one step may mean some of the 
most powerful victory over the flesh and living into the spirit that you've ever experienced in your life because of the community that surrounds you and the strength we receive from others. Wherever you are and whatever step the Holy Spirit might be inviting you into, I want to take a moment. I want to pray for each one of us. So if you would, maybe even as an act of surrender, would you just open your hands like this? Open-handed, not closed-fisted. And say, and God, we pray with arms and open, hands open. God, help us to unclench our fists over whatever it is that maybe we're holding above the water and saying, not this. Would you help us to open our hands towards heaven, surrender those things so that by the power of the Spirit of God, they can be crucified, we can deny ourselves, we can starve the flesh and feed the Spirit of God so that we can become who you've called us to become, we can love our neighbor as ourselves, and we can see more of heaven in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us. So God, we say to you, we need you not on our own strength, but by your power. This we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.